God gave this world to mankind, and the empires of men have grasped for power. But God has announced a new kingdom, a kingdom that reclaims this world with a new commerce, a new treasure, and a king of new life. I want to welcome all of you to our North Richland Hills campus and all of you that watch online. Thank you for joining the Hills. We're a church with three campuses, also in West Fort Worth and South Lake, and we're thrilled that you're with us. I want to begin with a prayer. I know all of our hearts are heavy over the events that happened in France. So would you bow with me, please? Father, we know that every day unspeakable evil takes place all over the world. We know there's a lot of suffering that doesn't get reported. But when it does, like it did a few days ago in Paris, we are heartbroken as we are reminded that darkness still reigns in so many hearts and in so many places. And so, God, we we grieve for the people in France who are so broken today. We ask for comfort to come, especially to the families who lost loved ones. And we know that many people in France, in fact, most claim no faith. But perhaps this tragedy could cause good, deep, hard questions to begin to be asked. That could even lead to you. We pray for the Christians who are in France. That they can be a source of encouragement and comfort and hope. And that somehow, out of this unspeakable darkness, the light of Jesus can shine. And we pray in His name. Amen. Events like these remind us that Jesus really is the hope of the world. That He is the Prince of Peace and the only one that will ultimately bring peace to the whole world. And that's why I just have to say, Hills Church... Thank you, thank you, thank you for your generous outpouring in our harvest offering last weekend to fund our mission works around the world. We've never made our goal in one weekend. We went past our goal, which only means God has something big for us to do next year that we just don't know yet. So he provided the resources so that we could say yes when it comes up. And by the way. All of you kids who brought your coins and your little houses and came up on the stage at every campus, Preacher Rick is so proud of you because together you gave over $5,000 to help missionaries in the world. So moms and dads, you tell your children today at lunch, Preacher Rick says, I am proud of you and you don't have to eat your asparagus today. (laughs) Now, moms and dads, I want to challenge you to include your kids in our Thanksgiving reading challenge. They're on the website or on your app. We're going to read three or four Thanksgiving Psalms a day all the way up to Thanksgiving. And it's an awesome time for you to disciple your children in an attitude of gratitude while we're also reading our chapters of the Bible. So join us in that. Now, three weeks ago, I started just a four-week series. I titled Kingdomnomics, where we're looking at what God and Christ have to say about stewardship. And I told you then 
that preachers do not like to preach about money. Surveys say we would rather preach about hell than preach about money. And here's why. We are afraid that you will think that we are simply serving our self-interest. Because we are all aware of scandals by evangelists who are simply using religion to make themselves rich. That's why there are so many preacher jokes about money-absorbed ministers. You may have heard about the uh, rancher that calls the church. The secretary answers the phone. And he says, I'd like to talk to the head hog. And the secretary says, now, if you mean our senior pastor, we would never refer to him so disrespectfully. And the rancher says, ma'am, I need no harm. I just know your church has a building program. And I was thinking about giving your church $100,000. And the secretary said, sir, you just stay on the line. The big pig's walking in right now. So you might be wondering, why do churches talk so much about money? Here's a simple answer. Because Jesus does. A better question is, why does Jesus talk so much about money? Because Jesus didn't need money. But he needed disciples. And Jesus knew that the heart goes wherever The treasure is. He said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And Jesus wants your heart. That's why he talks about your money. And I believe you could do nothing better than trust your heart to Jesus. So, if I want you to trust your heart to Jesus, I must challenge you to trust your money to Jesus, because your heart will go where your treasure is. You follow the money to find out who is serious about following Jesus. Because you can't divorce stewardship and discipleship. If you're going to get a degree in discipleship, you are going to have to major in kingdom nomics, where you learn to own. Nothing, steward everything, and do something. Let me explain with a brief review. Kingdomnomics 101 is simple. God owns all. This is a top-button issue. If you're wrong on ownership, you can't be right about anything else. And God never rescinds or surrenders His claim to own everything. Now, I recognize that some of you here today aren't even sure that you buy the whole God thing. I am so glad you're here. And you've got to agree with me on two things. Number one, you're sitting around some awesome people. And number two, you came into the world with nothing and you will take nothing with you. So, whether you believe in God or not, you and I have this in common. All we own is on loan. That's Kingdomnomics 101. So, Kingdomnomics 201, for those who do believe in God, we must manage God's trust fund. We understand that we are not entitled owners. We are entrusted stewards who will have to give an account for our management. Some of you are school teachers. 
And what do kids love to ask the teacher? Is this going to be on the test? Well, when Jesus told all these parables about the owner that goes on a trip and he puts stewards in charge and he comes back and he always makes them give an account of their stewardship. What is Jesus' point? Simple. It's going to be on the test. Your stewardship is going to be on the test. You cannot separate stewardship from discipleship. It's not an option. It's essential. As disciples, we live by radically different economic principles because we believe we are citizens of a radically different kingdom. And now you're ready for Kingdomnomics 301. Here it is. Stewardship needs constant intention. I didn't say attention. I said intention. Here's what I mean. You do not drift into a kingdomnomics lifestyle. You do not accidentally stumble into becoming a good steward. You get there on purpose because you deliberately pursue a different economic game plan. Stewardship is more walk than talk. Now, let me illustrate it this way. We all know that professional athletes can make a lot of money. And so in many of the leagues, like the NFL, they get all the rookies together and they give them a seminar. Because we all hear these stories of these athletes who are bankrupt shortly after their career is over. And so they get the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Not Ryan Broles. Ryan Broles played football at the University of Oklahoma. He was a wide receiver drafted three years ago by the Detroit Lions. Now, Ryan is a committed Christian. He and his wife, Mary Beth, have done the teaching with Dave Ramsey, and they want to be good stewards. So he's a rookie, signs this huge contract for all this money, but he realizes this is not the time to go buy a bunch of big cars or a whole bunch of jewelry. They decided that they could live on $60,000 a year, and they would put all the rest of his money into an account for his post-football life. Three years later, two knee surgeries later, Ryan was released, and he's not now playing football. But unlike many athletes, he's not broke, he's not bankrupt, because he heard the talk and he made it walk. Now, you've got to know, as a fan of the Baylor Bears, it is ripping me up right now to brag on an Oklahoma Sooner. (laughs) But he deserves it because he lived by intention. Remember that parable where Jesus says the owner leaves and he gives three different stewards some money to manage? It says, chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 16, The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. Okay, here's what I've learned. People that say, I'm going to be a good steward someday, never become good stewards because someday never comes. You will not do then what you will not start now. 
So start and do something with all this talk we've been doing. So here's what I'm going to do for the rest of this message. I've identified seven areas where we need to do something. Now, all seven may not apply to you, but I promise at least one and probably more of these seven steps apply to every single person listening to me right now, especially number one. Many of you need to do something to get out of financial bondage. Remember last spring when we did the Freedom Series and I asked you to write on cards the area where you feel most enslaved? And we got thousands of cards and there were five big areas that showed up more than any other. Finances made the top five. And that's because many of us drank the culture's Kool-Aid that says, play now. Pay later. And that is a path to prison. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 21, 5. Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Why do people wind up in bondage? Because they take a shortcut and get now what they should have waited later to have. Proverbs 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. It's right there in the Bible. Debt puts you in bondage. And there are too many Christians who think they are members of Congress and they can spend what they don't have. You need to learn to act your wage. Because debt as a lifestyle will hinder your capacity to live freely in the kingdom of God. And Jesus will surprise you with wonderful opportunities to advance the kingdom. And you will have to say, no, Jesus, I can't. Because I'm a slave. Did you know the IRS says the average filer pays ten times more a year in interest on debt than they give to charity. Now, here's the truth. You can wander into debt, but you cannot wander out. You have to intend to get free. Some of you need to do some plastic surgery and cut those cards up and stop Living like debt is your provider instead of God. And some of you need to humble yourself and get some financial counseling help. We have right here at our church people trained to help you get on a path to financial freedom. You need to contact Carl Grassel at our church and we'll connect you with one of those people. Let me tell you about somebody who did. Adrian Parker. He and his wife have been married just one year. They were members of our West Fort Worth campus. They have since moved and they are members at South Lake Campus. So three years ago, married one year, $80,000 of consumer and student loan debt and thinking about buying a house so they can go in more debt. Because that's what newlyweds do, right? And I preached a sermon about stewardship and they got very convicted and they decided they were tired of living in bondage. So they started on a path to get free. And in three years, they have gotten out 
of debt. Now, here's what Adrian will say. It wasn't easy. We had to say no to many good things. Not because it was wrong to have them, but because it wasn't right to have them right now. And now they're free. In fact, Adrian is now a financial budget counselor at the South Lake campus. And here's what he will tell you. It was fun. It was fun to be able to make money our servant instead of having to serve money. It was fun to be able to give to the kingdom more than we ever have before. Learning God honoring money management is one of the most spiritual things you can do. So do something. Whether you're in debt or not. Because some of you, probably all of us, need to be proactive and do something to protect our hearts from money lies. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Here's why. Jesus knew nothing has the potential to be a God substitute like money. Money can mimic God more than anything else. Money will promise you security, identity, significance. It can't deliver, but it will promise. It will mimic God. That's why Jesus didn't say you can't serve God and Satan. He said you can't serve God and money. Now, here's the truth. You're going to give your heart. You're going to give your first allegiance to whatever you think has the most power to bless your life. And if you think it's money, that's where your heart will go. And the Bible has a word for that. And the word's idolatry. Idolatry is when you give first to something that ought to be second. And it always leads to ruin. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, The love of money causes all kinds of evil. And some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money. But they've caused themselves much sorrow. Jesus never told Anybody, the answer to their problem was to get more money. What we need is more faith in the goodness of God. We need more conviction in the priority of His kingdom. You can't always protect your assets. You know that, don't you? Jesus said, there's moth, there's rust. There are things that are happening in the world right now you can't control that could affect your net worth tomorrow. You can't always protect your assets, but you can always protect your heart. How do you do that? Well, you could start memorizing some of the verses that Jesus talked about money. That'll help. You can start meditating on how rich you are in Christ in the things that really matter. That'll help. You can start becoming a consistent, generous giver because when you give money away... You dethrone its power to lie to your heart. I'll say again. You are not to serve money. You are to make money your servant. For Jesus' sake. Which leads to number three. Some of you need to start doing something to support the mission of your church. Now, the next three minutes are Rick. This is my opinion. You take it for what it's worth. I have always stewarded my finances by two convictions. I should give first to my local church. 
And what I give should at least be a tithe. Now, I know some people don't agree with that. They say, I give wherever I want. I don't necessarily give to my church. And I decide where I want my money to go. Here's the problem. The tithe belongs to the Lord. The Bible's very clear about that. You didn't bring a tithe to the temple and tell the priest where it was going to go. The tithe belonged to the Lord. Now, after you gave your tithe, you could do free will offerings to whatever you wanted. But the tithe belonged to the Lord. You see this principle in the New Testament. The people would bring their gifts to the apostles and put it at their feet for the leaders to decide what to do with it. Now, some of you are saying, well, tithing is too legalistic. I don't want to give 10% because I'm not a legalist. Okay, give 11%. Give 12%. I don't care. Give 15%. (laughs) But you need to do something because with all her flaws, the church is still Jesus' chosen agency to advance against the gates of hell and you are listening to me right now some of you who wouldn't know jesus today if it wasn't for the mission of this church and you know also i honestly believe that jesus who is the head of the church expects you to support Financially, the body where you get fed spiritually. And lest I seem self-serving here for the next couple of minutes, I'm just going to read Scripture to you and you can make up your own mind. 1 Corinthians 9, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. This is an order of the Lord. Galatians 6, 6. Anyone who is learning the teaching of God should share all the good things he has with his teacher. 1 Timothy 5.17 Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. This is the church where you bring your kids. This is the church where you come, you get your encouragement, you get your nourishment, you get your fellowship. And Robert Morris, pastor at Gateway Church, put it well. Some Christians eat a meal every week and then skip out on the check. Now, you don't have to give to come to this church. But this church exists for you to come to because somebody gives. And so I believe my first responsibility is to support my church. And I tithe to advance the work of God through my church. And when I do, I find that the work of God is advancing in me. Which leads to number four. We need to do something to model the joy of generosity to other people. You've heard people called prayer warriors. Well, he's a prayer warrior. She's a prayer warrior. Why don't we ever talk about giving warriors? Why do we practice don't ask, don't tell when it comes to stewardship? They didn't in the Bible. The New Testament is full of celebrating generosity testimonies. Barnabas sold a field, brought it to the apostles. They renamed him son of encouragement. Paul says, let me tell you about what those awesome churches of Macedonia are doing, giving to support the poor in Jerusalem. Do you know why they were doing that? Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because cheerful givers spread cheer. 
I know of churches across America that have harvest Sundays to support mission work because they heard and got excited about what we were doing at this church. Cheerful givers spread cheer. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. And so when it's appropriate and God's doing a work in you and you're growing in the grace of giving, share what God is doing in your life with somebody else. A lot of you are in small groups and you're going over the discussion questions I'm writing for each one of these sermons. If God is doing a work in you and teaching you to find more joy and generosity, share that with people. And some of you need to find a generosity mentor. You need to find somebody that you know is a good steward and say, would you teach me what God has taught you? And let their joy inspire you so that you can inspire somebody else. Especially at home. Because if you have children, you need to do something to teach your kids about God and money. Because if you don't, culture will. They will drink the Kool-Aid of the culture. Don't let that happen. Don't let culture put chains on your children. The Bible tells parents in Ephesians 6, 4 to bring our kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, if one out of every six things Jesus said was about money, you can't bring your kids up in the instruction of the Lord and never talk about money. You have to find age-appropriate ways to start teaching them kingdomnomic principles. Children need to be taught that mine is really only a word God gets to use. They need to be taught the value of work. Children need to be taught that you can have a lot and still not be content. And you can be content. Without having a lot. And most of all, they need to see us walk it and not just talk it. Do your kids know that you support God with your money? Have you ever talked to them about that? Did you talk and pray as a family about harvest offering? You know, more and more people are giving to the kingdom of God online. I think it's a wonderful thing. In fact, we're going to break out a new app next week that's going to make it easier than ever. My children, all three of them, are in their 20s. And I promise you, none of them have ever written a check. But here's what happens. As more and more give online, your kids don't see you put money in the plate to give to God. So how do they know that that's important if you don't talk about it? This is where you need to do something. Don't pass on wealth to the next generation if you haven't passed on wisdom. 
Because, and that's number six. Most of you listening to me right now need to do something to ensure that your barn honors God when you die. Because your stewardship decisions, whether they're foolish or wise, are going to outlive you. The way you manage money is going to have a ripple that will last longer than you. Jesus told a story about a farmer that had a good year. His barn was full. He had extra. Instead of being generous and helping the poor, he decided to build a bigger barn. Here's how it ended. God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? What is going to happen to your barn? Will what God has loaned you honor Him after you die? Now, some of you are thinking, this doesn't apply to me because I'm young. Well, it applies to you very much. You need a will, especially if you have little children. We can help. Talk to Jane Ford at our church and we can set you up with someone that can help you there. And some of you that are older, you've got an estate. You've got a barn. And when you die, it's going to go to three places. Taxes, heirs, and charity. And a good steward decides what those percentages are going to be. And by the way, where does the Bible say that your kids should get all of it? That may be the worst thing you could do. Proverbs 20 says, An inheritance obtained too early in life is not a blessing in the end. I would hope that your kids would want you to do something with your barn that is still adding treasure to your heavenly portfolio years after you're gone. But here's the deal. I'm just being honest. Something's going to happen to your barn. Now, you can have this conversation in your living room with your family in your presence. Or it will happen in a lawyer's office In your absence. But something's going to happen to your barn. In fact, God might want you to start emptying that barn before you die. God might want you to do something to witness to the absurdity of grace. See, God made the first move in generosity. Christianity is founded on an act of scandalously illogical giving. Here's the most important stewardship verse in the Bible. 2 Corinthians 8 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor. So that by His poverty... He could make you rich. Grace is not logical, people. It is crazy. Grace makes no sense. And people whose hearts have been changed by grace suddenly 
find themselves willing to do what seems absurd. A widow with only two coins left will go to the temple and give it to God. And Jesus will watch her and not tell her to stop. A single woman in a culture that had no safety net for women and whose life savings is in a jar of perfume will open it up and pour it all out on Jesus and He won't tell her to stop. Now, some people will criticize her and He will tell them to stop and He will say, I tell you the truth. Wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Why? Because she is a living illustration of the absurdity of grace. Of how when you love somebody so much, you do what doesn't make sense. Grace has never made sense. And God wants you to steward your money in a way that challenges the world. I don't know what it looks like, but every one of you is going to get a chance to do something at least once in your life with your money that just seems crazy. You're going to give your car to a single mom instead of trading it in. You're going to forget about that vacation you always dreamed about and take your whole family to Africa. To go encourage a missionary. You're going to rewrite that will and you're going to leave a big part of it to some church plant. Some of you last week, for the first time, experienced what I'm talking about. You gave more than you've ever given. You know, last week, 50 people gave for the first time ever to this church. And none of them regret it. None of them are sorry they did it. It doesn't make sense if you are a citizen primarily in the empires of the world. But it makes total sense if you are primarily a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I have a preacher friend named Kyle Ottoman who tells a story about a friend of his who's also a preacher. And the church where he served burned to the ground. Everything in his study was lost. He lost all his books. He lost all his files. He lost all his old sermon manuscripts. It was all gone. He told Kyle, the only thing I have after the fire are the things I gave away that people returned to me. Now listen close. The fire's coming. This earth is going to be purged by fire. And everything the empires of men has built is going to burn so that God can set up the new heaven and the new earth. And the only thing that will survive the fire are those things we gave away. I know that sounds crazy. But let me remind you, nothing in history ever seemed more absurd at the time 
than the cross of Jesus. And when we needed generosity, God did something. And now, it's our turn. So let me pray over you. Father, there is not a person listening to me right now that in the last 30 minutes did not hear at least one thing they need to do. What we need right now is Holy Spirit courage to go against the flow of the culture and live fully and freely in the only kingdom that really matters. So help us to step in faith toward Jesus. Amen. Let me ask you to all stand. You do know, don't you, grace is a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And as people who are on our prayer team take their places, I'm going to invite you to embrace the scandal. Come ask for prayer. Come ask how you can give your life to Jesus. Come embrace the scandal of grace while we worship.